Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. Hi, I'm Ryan Gilly. And today we are talking about Mission Space, which is a theme park ride, which is a, a little bit different than we talk about here. But it is technology, and uh, HP and NASA are part of this. And also, it's my podcast. So I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> Are you are you familiar with this, Ryan? I am not familiar with the ride, but I am familiar with Epcot. Okay. Also, before we get into it, I'm going to do a little content warning up front. We're going to be talking about uh, people dying in this episode. Uh, we don't don't usually do that in Tech Tales, so this this is your warning. You can go listen to. As of when I'm recording this, every single other Tech Tales episode, if you don't want to hear about that. Anything before this. So before I talk about Mission Space, I'm going to rewind a little bit and talk about where it's located. On October 1st, 1982, the Epcot theme park opened in Walt Disney World, becoming the second park in Florida operated by the Walt Disney Company. Unlike Disney's first Florida park, the Magic Kingdom Epcot was primarily inspired by technology and culture from around the world, instead of mostly fantasy elements or stuff from Disney films. It was originally divided into two sections. The first one was World Showcase, which contained pavilion areas based on countries like Mexico, Canada, United Kingdom, and others, with each country having some combination of restaurants, shows, and rides. The other section was Future World, which was at the front of the park, uh, that roughly had stuff based on technology and nature. Future World was heavily inspired by the World's Fairs shows, uh, especially the one from the 60s, I forget the exact year, with these large futuristic attractions that were sponsored by large corporations. So, for example, uh, there's Spaceship Earth, which is the big golf ball-looking thing at the front of the park. That was initially a slow-moving ride about the history of communication, and it was sponsored by AT&T. And then I think they had to slightly tweak it like two years later because AT&T got broken up by the government. <laughs> was that when it was still Bell, or was it actually AT&T? Yeah, it was opened. Uh, it was the Bell system, okay. and then I think it got rebranded to just AT&T, I think. But yeah, that's fun. Some of the sponsors weren't great, like uh, one of the attractions was the universe of energy which was this big ride about how energy is created and stuff and it had dinosaurs and that was sponsored by exxon yikes yeah uh, disney getting that oil bag that big Love oil see it. yeah one of the attractions in future world called horizons was delayed from when the park was it was i think it was supposed to open when the park open, but it was delayed to October 1st, 1983, with General Electric attached as the sponsor. Slightly less problematic than Exxon. Said that Horizons wasn't sponsored by Verizon, but... Yeah. Horizons was another slow-moving ride using the same Omnimover system used at Spaceship Earth, the Haunted Mansion, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin, a couple others. It took guests through a vision of the future from people of the past, like Jules Verne, and then transitioned to how Disney artists thought the future might look, with people living on land, under the sea, and finally in outer space. Horizons was actually pretty cool for the time. It used a mix of IMAX screens and real props, and there was also some like video segments that took over a year to film. 
finally at the end of the ride, you had your choice for like which way you wanted to return to the Horizons building. So you could go there through space or see you. And there was like a different video that would play. So it's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing, hmm. uh, which was kind of cool for the 80s. Yeah. Um, I'll send you uh, some pictures if you want to look at them. I would love to. Yeah. When my uh, girlfriend and I went to, to Epcot, it was a lot of it was under construction, the main pavilion and everything like that. I think they might have removed some of it, but that made it a little not as fun to walk around. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the future world area was very much like just a few giant buildings <laughs> you'd walk between. Very, very vintage. Reminds me of uh, like the Jetsons in a way. That that hope for humanity and all the flying cars and things. Yeah, it was a different time. <laughs> future looked bright with that Exxon money. <sighs> yeah, I wonder if they were still going to use gas cars in space. <laughs> Yes. So Horizons started to feel a little dated as the 1990s rolled on because the problem with depicting the future is that eventually the future comes and then your ride looks really old <laughs> and boring. Uh, and General Electric eventually declined to renew its sponsorship of Horizons. And the attraction finally closed on January 9th of 1999. Disney had already been planning for something to replace Horizons for a while, generally something space-related. On March 2nd of 2000, the Orlando Sentinel reported that Disney was moving ahead with a new space pavilion to replace Horizons. The project was estimated to cost between $150 to $200 million, with Compaq Computer Corporation signed on as a sponsor, and Disney was also meeting with NASA to help incorporate real-life elements into the new pavilion. Compaq has not been a, a name I've heard since the early 2000s. Uh, we'll get to, yeah, we'll get to why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On April 20th of 2000, Disney officially announced Mission Space with an estimated opening date of 2003. So I'm going to read part of their press release. They said, quote, The next Walt Disney World Resort attraction will go where no thrill ride has gone before. Deep Space, announced Al Weiss, president of Walt Disney World Resort, and Michael Capillas, CEO of Compact Computer Corporation. Walt Disney World Resort's newest attraction, Mission Space, to be presented by Compact, will lift off at Epcot in 2003. It's the latest in a series of new attractions and entertainment offerings at Walt Disney World Resort, continuing a period of phenomenal growth that includes the resort's current year-long millennium celebration. Offering guests a one-of-a-kind astronaut-like experience, Mission Space will launch guests into a simulated space adventure from pulse racing liftoff to weightlessness in outer space. In association with former NASA advisors, astronauts, and scientists, Walt Disney Imagineering created Mission Space with new technologies, making it the first ride system ever created to take guests straight up in simulated flight. Set decades into the future, guests are transported in time and place to an international space training center where they will encounter simulated challenges faced by real astronauts. Quote. Interesting, because um, it's just interesting to see that NASA and Disney working together on something like this, because NASA has a theme park themselves that sounds like it does a lot of the same thing. Yeah, I think um, I might talk a little bit about this later, but I, I think part of it is 
people weren't like super jazzed for space exploration at this time. Like the we'd we'd been on the space shuttle for like almost twenty years, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think NASA was just like, "Hey, anything that'll get people excited for space, we're we're down for. We'll help out." Yeah, the heyday of the '60s and the moon kind of fell off and needed that. Yeah, yeah. NASA confirmed at the time that it had no formal relationship with the ride, but it agreed to allow Disney to depict its astronaut training methods, and it hoped it would boost interest in space programs. Now, you did mention you hadn't heard about Compaq in a while. It has been quite a while, yes. Yeah, and it's because they were already in decline around this time. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, and in September of 2001, uh, Hewlett-Packard announced it would acquire Compaq for $25 billion in stock. Hmm. So after this was announced to go to Compaq, um, HP bought Compaq, and they inherited the sponsorship for Mission Space. In July 2003, while Mission Space was nearing completion, Disney was sued by the manufacturer of the simulators, Environmental Tectonics Corporation. Not even open yet. We've already got issues. I was going to say, how do you get sued for something if you, <laughs> nobody's been on it? Like, <laughs> uh, Well, uh, so uh, ETC, who made the actual simulators in the ride, wanted more than $15 million in damages, alleging that Disney failed to fully pay the company for its work, which changed dramatically during development. I I mean, I guess I see that, like, from the point of a developer, you know, Disney telling you one thing and then demanding others and yeah. then not paying for it. Like, that's completely reasonable. Yeah, I tried reading some of the lawsuit documents, and there was some stuff about, like, I, I think Disney and this company originally agreed to, like, just a one-time payment of some amount, and then the work dragged on, and then they wanted a, you know, time-based billing. Um, mm. So there was just stuff like that. Gotcha. Normal bureaucratical stuff. Yeah. And ETC also said it was not involved in Disney's safety testing for the ride and that Disney stole a confidential list of its vendors in 2001. Oh, so now we've just got straight theft. Also, kind of interesting, ETC wanted full rights to the ride technology it made for Mission Space so that it could build similar rides for other amusement parks as long as they were not within 100 miles of a Disney theme park. Which is most amusement parks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, they wouldn't have been able to make a, a mission space knockoff for like Universal. Universal yeah. But I'm somewhere gonna... else. Yeah. Universal being right down the road. Oh, no. Yeah. I guess if, if this was a different timeline where Six Flags had money, maybe mm. they would cough up some money for one. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the idea of space and the space emulation is, you know, it's going to be a classic. NASA does it. Um, you know, Disney's doing it. Uh, I wish more places did it. Like, space is pretty interesting. You know, the vast unknown. And it's kind of cool to pretend you're an astronaut seeing how strict those rules are. In response to that lawsuit, Disney alleged that ETC suffered no financial damage from any of this. So asking for money and damages was kind of silly. While that was going on, Mission Space started a soft opening on August 15th, 2003, which means that it was open, but they didn't tell anyone it was open in case they had to close it later. Is that a normal thing for Disney? I'm not super up to date on the Disney lore with that. Yeah, they they usually do that for new rides, like while they're working out the issues. Like they don't want to open the ride and then it's like busted for a week. Yeah, a thousand people try (laughs) to get on it. Something goes wrong. Yeah, Gotcha. And then in October 2003, it was fully open to the public. Woo. 
So the ride as it opened in 2003 was a space flight simulator ride. It was set in a fictional ISTC training facility a few decades into the future, which seems kind of weird to me that it's explicitly training. Like it's not trying to make you feel like you're getting into a rocket, but it's also in the future. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's too much world building. We don't need that much. Nope. Just get me in there. Get me to space. Go to space. Um, it had four bays of simulators holding 10 simulators each, and the ride itself was about four minutes long. Once inside the simulator, screens in front of each rider give the appearance of a rocket launch, leaving Earth orbit, and then nearly crashing into the surface of Mars. Disney included several references to Horizons in Mission Space, which is kind of a normal thing for them. If they replace a ride, they like throw in a couple references somewhere to appease the Disney adults. Yep. There was multiple Horizons logos all over the place, and the Bravo Centauri station from Horizons was later added to the mural outside the entrance. Aw, good little callbacks. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to watch a video. We're going to watch the pre-show, which featured actor Gary Sinesse, who you might recognize from Forrest Grump or Apollo 13. All right. And I, th I think he was also in one of the many CSI shows. I don't know which. <laughs> there were a ton of them, yeah. There's a lot of those. <laughs> They're still going, too. I found out CSI Miami is still making episodes. Okay, let me know when you're when you're ready to hit play on that. Sure. All right. I'm paused, so count us down. Start on three, two, one, go. <laughs> Welcome to the International Space Training Center. You're here today to train for the greatest adventure in the history of mankind, the exploration of deep space. I know you're probably feeling a little bit nervous right now, but don't worry. Every astronaut has felt that way at one time or another, even the heroes who went to the moon. But there is one thing that they have that you don't have, training. Right now, at NASA and ISTC facilities around the world, future astronauts are learning how to live and work in space. But you're here today for flight training, the most thrilling experience that any astronaut candidate will ever have. Before you decide if it's right for you, let me introduce you to your spacecraft. The X-2 Deep Space Shuttle. It's powered by solid hydrogen and can accelerate from zero to 6,060 seconds. So when you hear the words, go for launch, you'll definitely want to hang up. Now you've already been organized into teams, and soon each of you will be assigned a position. Navigator, pilot, commander, or engineer. And the success of your mission will depend on all of you working together as a team. I'll be your captain, and in a few minutes I'll give all of you specific assignments. But first our flight director has some safety instructions for you. Lieutenant? Remember the team number you're standing on. When the doors in front of you open, you will be directed to a flight station with that number on it. When you get there, please stand on the circles. You will be enclosed inside an X-2 flight trainer that produces the sensation of a flight through space. Those who are made uncomfortable by enclosed dark spaces or simulators should bypass this experience. As you can see, astronaut flight training isn't like anything you've ever experienced before. It is intense, and if you would like to opt out, 
You can sign up for mission control training in the advanced training lab. Just ask any member of the ISTC crew for directions. As for the rest of you, report for your pre-flight briefing. It's go time. It is go time. Yeah, I'm very surprised because you said this is what, 2003, 2004? Yes. Yeah, because... Um, uh, Cape Canaveral or, or Cape Kennedy has a very, very similar ride where they put you in a thing and then you get tilted backwards and then it shakes and you go into space and stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know the year it came out, but I'm wondering if they took some inspiration from this being, you know, NASA based and stuff. Um, maybe. I don't know enough about that either. It seems like you've been to that one and I've been to the other one. So this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, so we watched the, the pre-show. Now we're going to, you want to ride it? You want to go on the ride? Absolutely, I'd love to. Okay, let's go on. Let's let's have some fun here. All right. All right. I am paused. Okay, go on. Three, two, one, go. Good luck, team. All of us here at Mission Control are proud to be a part of this historic liftoff of the first mission to Mars. Mission Control, this is the Planet surface. Engineer, extend wings for gliding now. 
little ride yeah one one thing i forgot to mention is during that ride they said a little bit during the pre-show but everyone sits in one of four spots that has like a different role mm-hmm. and at various points during the ride that person is supposed to press a button in front of them but it's it's like dora the explorer where the thing happens anyway if you don't do anything <laughs> gotcha I just want to point out somebody in the comments said, I love how he says, we're all proud to be a part of this historic liftoff, the first mission to Mars, and then you get to Mars and there's somehow already a colony with a landing strip. <laughs> <laughs> a little continuity error there, Disney. Well, it, you're you're first person to get there in a four minute clip. I was going to say they were, they were zooming to Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got... They went from Earth orbit to like around the moon in like 10 seconds. I'm pretty sure that would kill you. Yeah. I don't think you can go that fast. I just imagine Elon sitting on this ride going, how can we get this to go this fast? Yeah. (laughs) The the Tesla autopilot ship would would find the nearest alien and hit them. (laughs) But only if you pay for it. Yeah. You have to enable that. So mission simulators that tilted people back and forth with screens and sound effects synchronized to movement was nothing new. Like you said, like, you know, NASA had one, other parks had some, Disney had a few that were also simulators, but like in a larger sort of vehicle. What made Mission Space unique was that the simulators went around in circles really fast in addition to tilting. So you had actual like centrifugal force. Uh, on this on the simulator disney said that it had quote of less force and less duration than an actual shuttle launch quote which i, I sure hope so i, I would i would have <laughs> i would assume it doesn't and it's it's one of those things like i don't know why they would have to to say that is it not yeah <laughs> so someone gets off to like man i didn't black out this is terrible <laughs> I didn't have to do six months of underwater training for this. Come on, Disney, this isn't realistic. <laughs> my eyes didn't pop out of my skull going 6G around the moon. Come on. <laughs> yes. But they did say it had a lower intensity than a typical roller coaster, which isn't exactly true. We'll get to that. Ooh, okay, because I was going to say from the video we watched, it looked pretty tame. But 
Disney seemingly never published more specific information about how fast the simulator spun around. Based on what I can tell, which is like people going on the ride who have also been on like actual simulators and thinking like, yeah, I think it was this fast. So maybe this is made up, but mm-hmm. it, it seems like the ride was somewhere between 1.5 to 2.5 Gs of force, where, you know, one G of force is how you feel just standing still on Earth. Some roller coasters are like three to six Gs, sort of. Most of the force was on that initial launch when you're in the simulator you're like going up to the sky which is also how it you know works in real life i was just gonna ask like i wonder how much this compares to like those tilt-a-whirls that you have at uh, amusement parks those are those are in the same sort of thing okay uh they're, they're very they're very similar to this the only difference is that when you're spinning around in those you still like see where you're going and there's actual movement but like in these like you can't see anything you just see the screen so your frame of reference is just kind of yeah yeah Yeah, so it depending on the person it can be about the same number of intensity or way worse yeah i could see how that would be disorienting that you're just like spinning around and can't you know yeah in the dark oh yeah Yeah. with the guy from csi telling you that you're on your way to mars (laughs) (laughs) and there's been a murder (laughs) oh dear so yeah motion sickness is already a very common thing on regular simulators but the added spinning caused a lot of people to get sick as far as i can tell mission space had the honor of being the first attraction at walt disney world to have barf bags in the vehicle oh no so that's how bad it was so it was worse than we thought yeah Uh, Yeah, and I I believe those were added after the fact, but I'm not 100% sure, so. I mean, to clean it, all you would have to do is just turn it on when nobody's in there. It would all go to the walls. (laughs) Just (laughs) scrape it off. Make sure the workers are out of the room first. Exactly. Ideally. Yeah. From June 2005 to June of 2006, paramedics were called to Mission Space to treat 194 people, according to records from the local fire department. That is out of, like millions of people on this yeah so that's a high number but not like a absurdly high number yeah like comparative to percentage wise it's got to be like 0.0 so like one or something yeah and um most most of the complaints were dizziness nausea vomiting but 25 people passed out uh 26 had difficulty breathing and 16 people reported chest pains or irregular heartbeats Wow. Okay, so this is very intense sometimes. Very typical with being spun around very fast, but still, like... Yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, two people did die on this. The first person was on June 13th of 2005. A four-year-old boy from Pennsylvania died after riding Mission Space. He became unresponsive during the ride, and paramedics and a park employee tried to revive him, but he later died at the hospital. An autopsy later revealed the boy had a heart condition that affected the heart's left ventricle, and his family was unaware of that condition. Yeah, and a very unfortunate accident. That's really rough, and also, you know, not a lot you can do. Yeah. Uh, Did this ride have any height requirements or anything like that? I know a lot of other kind of spinny rides do. Yeah, it did. I I want to say it was 44 inches, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. The parents sued Disney for negligence, but reached a settlement in October 2006, and the lawsuit was voluntarily dismissed in January of 2007. 
that probably means they got some compensation from Disney, and I hope it was a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. And on April 12th of 2006, so less than a year later, a 49-year-old woman from Germany died on the ride. She was hospitalized after she became dizzy and nauseated after going on the ride. After it happened, Disney representatives said they, quote, completed a thorough inspection of the attraction overnight and found it to be operating properly, quote. And Orange County medical examiners later confirmed she died from hypertensive bleeding in the brain. And there is evidence she had high blood pressure. So, again, another like thing where like you don't really know you have this problem until you're in a simulator that's spinning you around at high rates. Yeah, that's... I I don't blame Disney for that. I don't blame the people either. Um, it's kind of just... I, I would say it's both and neither at the same time, you know? Yeah, because, like, yeah, like, you, you don't know you would ha- really have this issue unless you do something of a similar severity. Yeah. If I was gonna, like try to pin something on Disney for this, I would say that there's maybe a conversation that should have been had about different kinds of warnings. Because, like, with this ride, there's the same sort of warnings as, like, a roller coaster. Like, you know, don't go on it while pregnant. Don't, you know, go on if you have a, if you know you have a heart condition. But, like, it's a very different effect on your body. Yeah. Also, I don't really know if that would have helped because a lot of these are kind of, like, terms and conditions on apps. Like, no one no one's really reading that yeah and i know a lot of those things aren't 100 percent legally enforceable like disney could make you sign a contract that gives away your first kid but that doesn't mean it's enforceable by court you know i was gonna say so after this ride whenever you you know get into space and get out is there like another pavilion to go to that's like spacey or is it just the ride and then you're done no when you get off there's a uh, area at the end that they mentioned in the pre-show it's like this like other training area that's basically for little kids okay and then there's a gift shop and then you leave yeah oh, so just like a normal disney ride yeah yeah there's yeah nothing else in this building gotcha um although there was a secret room in the back if you were an hp employee you could go hang out it's like a corporate lounge and most of the buildings at epcot had one of these corporate lounges for whoever was sponsoring um, so Do, are there any photos of it online or is it all up to speculation? Oh yeah. Oh, there is. Yeah. There's, there's photos. There's some videos people took in there. Um, I think it was open to anyone who worked at HP for as long as they sponsored that ride. Interesting. I think it's mostly just intended as like a, Hey, if you work for HP, you can come like hang out back here for an hour, get out of the sun mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I, I'd also think it's very funny to imagine like someone trying to have a meeting while there's like <laughs> simulator noises in the next room. That's uh, that's what I thought too. I just imagined a big like boardroom table and a bunch of, yeah. you know, C-suite level executives. <laughs> Some kids in the background, I'm going to hurl. like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's like a glass pane where you can see the simulators going around. You just see vomit coming out of it. Oh, no. They're talking about their monthly sales report. There's just people vomiting everywhere. Yeah. Sounds like, Johnson, you're late. Yeah, I, I know. I stepped in some vomit, had to wash it off. Imagine, uh, imagine like the only way to get into that room was you had to ride the ride first. So you have a bunch of guys <laughs> in ties, like just sitting there being like, this is the third time this week we've had to be in this room. <laughs> it's like the perfume department in the SpongeBob episode <laughs> where you stuck on Davy Jones's shit. Oh, that is hilarious. Uh, yeah, I hope it was like that. I do too. I I hope it was. I wonder if there was like yeah. a little bar back there. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. 
So between everyone getting sick, uh, Disney hired University of Central Florida professor Robert S. Kennedy to analyze data on Mission Space Riders and determine if the ride needed any changes. So I'm going to read part of this article from the Orlando Sentinel from June 25th of 2006. This is kind of long, but it's it's really interesting because I'd never known about any of this. It said, quote, Mission Space is unique among theme park rides because it mixes several illusion techniques, including spinning, which creates centrifugal force, increasing the gravitational pull on the body to 2.3 times normal. But it's not the g-force that makes people sick, at least not directly, researchers say. The problem involves fooling the inner ears. The inner ears, semicircular canals, use different methods to measure body movement. Normally, they're highly reliable and always agree. When they don't, or if they together send different signals than vision, hearing, or muscle senses are reporting, the sensory conflict sickens some people. Disney got a heads up before opening Mission Space. Ride designers went to the Naval Aerospace Medical Research Laboratory in Pensacola, where military and NASA research is done. A medical doctor there says he cautioned Disney about the likelihood of people suffering simulator sickness. That's what I expected would be a problem across the population, he said. And that control for it was having a short duration ride and not having multiple exposures. Kennedy and other researchers find that many people immune to other motion sicknesses can be floored by simulators. Robert B. Welch, a research psychologist at NASA's California Research Center, said, quote, It would be really nice if you are resistant to motion sickness in one setting, you'd be resistant in another setting, but that's not the case. Take Adam, 29 years old, from Hungary. He says he has ridden the world's most thrilling roller coasters with no problems, but after riding Mission Space in February, he was overwhelmed with dizziness and sickness. He said, quote, For the first time in my life, I had to sit down and recover after a ride. Quote, Any simulator illusion can lead to sensory conflict. People don't even have to be moving. An IMAX movie or a virtual reality experience, such as the Aladdin's Magic Carpet Ride at Disney Quest, can cause an illusion called vection. The eyes convince the brain that the body is moving, but the inner ears and the muscle and skin senses protest. Partly because of that, some people may get sick on simulators that don't spin, such as Universal Studios' Back to the Future or Disney MGM Studios' Star Tours. But when the body tilts one way, but the head tilts another, the canals and autoliths disagree, creating a conflict called cross-coupling. Simulators that spin can create a third sensory conflict called G-excess. Engineers and scientists haven't figured out yet how to fool the canals, autoliths, and eyes at the same rate at the same time, Rupert says. As senses conflict subconsciously, the brain may panic, setting off the body's equivalent to fire alarms and sprinklers. It can affect nearly every system, says Deborah L. Harm, head of the Neuroscience Lab at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. It affects a lot of the autonomic nervous system, and the system is controlling all the rest of your systems. Quote. So it just sounds like normal, you know, simulation issues that, that just don't happen in the real world. Yeah. For some people, it's no different than going on a roller coaster. I've been on Mission Space. It did feel like... I would say it was more intense than a roller coaster, but that's also because I'm too scared to go on big roller coasters. Okay. But the ride, you know, at certain points has you like pressing a button in front of you and you have to like lift your arm to press the button. And when you're spinning around, that is actually more difficult to lift your arm and it does feel weird. 
Yeah, I was gonna say I I do roller coasters pretty well. I do loops and you know spins and stuff, but you know even things as simple as VR will make me kind of woozy sometimes. Yeah, because it's it's just a completely different thing. The VR thing, I it's we're getting into a weird time. I know it's been you know that was two thousand and three, so it's they've had twenty years to figure this out, but it sounds like they have the same issues now. Yeah, because it's like it's just like that's not how the human body was supposed to work. Yeah, the brains. <laughs> You know, we can try as much as we want, but thousands and thousands of years of evolution is telling you when you see yourself moving, you should feel the wind on your skin, you should feel this, and then you're not. And it, yeah, no. So on May 2nd of 2006, Disney confirmed that it was modifying Mission Space to have two different versions, which opened later that month. The original version of the ride was now branded as Team Orange, and there was a new Team Green version where it was the same ride, except the ride simulator only tilted back and forth. It did not spin at all, so it just stayed in place. And riders could choose which version they wanted at the entrance. Like, you walk up, they ask you, do you want, the, do you want spinning or non-spinning? Now, the question is, did FastPass include both or just one? Was it for the whole ride, or did you have a FastPass for the green side? I think it worked for both. Like, it didn't matter. Because also, I believe how this worked is that they adjusted how many of those four bays were, like, spinning or non-spinning based on demand. Gotcha. I I don't know if, like, they had half of them as the spinning and half of them as the non-spinning, but they could adjust it as they needed. Three years later, in January of 2009, Disney settled its lawsuit with the Environmental Tectonics Corporation which was the company that made the simulators. The settlement was confidential, so we don't know how it turned out, but uh, a judge previously ruled that uh, the ETC's arguments about financial losses were unsubstantiated, and I don't know if they ever ended up using like this simulator elsewhere, because I, I haven't heard of anything else like this, but there might be. Has the company done anything since Disney, or is it also just kind of been... I mean, they're like, they make like actual military oh, okay. uh, space stuff. So this was like, this was like a side thing for them, I guess. <laughs> Imagine going from military to Disney. They're like, yeah, guys, you know, the army wants this. Oh, by the way, you're working for the mouse this week. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, because I, I, I think that's also why, if I remember correctly, the simulators are actually physically capable of spinning much faster because they're meant for like, real pilot training they're made to make people pass out yeah gotcha glad to know that there's a little limiter in there and that hasn't gone wrong so far yeah which does beg the question like i don't know if they ever did but i do wonder if they tweet like the maximum spinning Mm. at any point even for the spinny version yeah i feel like that's got to be adjustable there's yeah, it's it's definitely adjustable because they they turned it off completely for the green oh, team. Yeah, that's right. I don't for the I don't know if like if you went on the original ride as it opened, mm-hmm. and then if you went on the intense version like five years later, if that was the same exact thing. You kind of I don't go, know. You kind of go back into the employee only section. There's a little dial that's like puke meter, and they're like, yeah, there's yeah. a little too much vomit today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to clean this up because turn it down. <laughs> One point or two point three. Now we're going two point one today. So Mission Space continued operating as normal until 2015, when HP branding was quietly removed from the attraction. Oh no! Presumably, HP didn't want to renew the sponsorship, which technically they weren't responsible for to start with. They just kind of inherited it from Compaq. Yep. Um, I don't know if like it was ever extended in that time. 
Um, but sponsorship ended and Disney was now solely responsible for footing the ride's operating costs. I'm just picturing an HP employee who's been in a coma for 10 years and he wakes up and he rides his favorite Disney ride and then goes to the back and once let in his little room and they're like, oh boy, do I have to tell you something? <laughs> yeah. Or the the HP employees became the rowdy ones in that building and <sighs> that Disney was like, we've had enough. You're, we're kicking you out. You're Cut off evicted. no more. <laughs> yeah. They catch some dude sleeping under the desk one night, and they're like, all right, contract over, get out. <laughs> Eight years after that, so again, like, not really anything happening with Mission Space. In June 2017, Mission Space closed for an update as part of Disney's overhaul of Epcot. The ride reopened on August 13th, 2017, with a few major changes. The Green Mission was now a completely different experience, with riders going on a trip around the Earth instead of going to Mars. And it was positioned as more of a family-friendly experience. I think they also dropped the height requirement for the green version. The orange mission remained the same trip around Mars as it was on opening day, complete with the spinning. But the visuals were updated, so it looked less like a PS3 game. <laughs> Did they have the uh, the CSI guy come back for it? No. Oh, no. Uh, no, sadly not. Uh. Um the pre-show videos and flight narrations with our buddy Gary were replaced with new footage from Gina Torres, who is best known for playing Lauren in Westworld, Cleopatra in Xena Warrior Princess, and Zoe Washburn in Firefly. So one famous actor to a famous actress. Yes. Nice. And I think it's interesting that they made the green version a completely different, right? And I feel like that kind of like ruins the point of it. The whole point was like you could you could go on the cool, exciting ride mm. just with the option to not, you know, possibly injure yourself. But now it's it's like a different thing entirely. Yeah, it's it's you miss out on that half if you have like medical conditions or things like that. That you know you can't do the cool Mars one where you crash into an asteroid. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like that maybe encourages some people to go on the spinny one that maybe they shouldn't because they're like, well, I wanna I wanna do the cool one. Yeah. And Mission Space continues to operate to this day, uh, still making people throw up. Oh, no. It it sounds cool, and it sounds interesting, and the next time I go, I'll have to go on Mission Space. But it feels like one of those rides that Disney's kind of just, it, it has. I know Disney has a few of these in like Universal as well, where they're just legacy rides. Well, I don't know if I would call it legacy, but they're just rides that are kind of just there, and they don't super get a whole lot of updates, and they don't get a whole lot of attention. But some people, it's their favorite, you know? Um, yeah. Space has always been a really cool thing. And I think with the the Falcon 1 launching, Disney could have totally got back with NASA and been like, oh, we could update this. And it seems like a wasted opportunity. Yeah. And I know when HP dropped sponsorship, I was, when that was happening, people were like, hey, maybe SpaceX should sponsor this or something. <laughs> Still probably better than Exxon. It's true. Definitely better than Exxon. <laughs> Imagine them just like we put on or no, we put fully leaded gasoline in these rockets. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a gas price sign outside the ride. You must pay four dollars and thirty nine cents a gallon. Yeah, but yeah, it is it is kind of in that weird zone where it is still like really cool. Like I enjoyed it when I went, but it it, it does still have the like door of the explorer kind of feel. It's like okay, time to press the buttons. Yeah. That don't actually do anything. Uh, I give it about 10 years until they make this into an Avengers <laughs> ride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, they probably will. The Marvelification. <laughs> so, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, I guess I can plug my hellscape of a Twitter. Not really. That website is, though, Ryan underscore A underscore Gilly. Uh, G-I-L-L-I-E. It's pretty much the only thing, and even then I don't even post on that, so... TechTales is also on Twitter for some reason, at TechTales Show, and also on Mastodon at TechTales at MAS.TO. The links for those are in the show notes. Also in the show notes are all of these sources, along with links to support the show. The official subreddit is r slash Podcast, where you can discuss episodes with other listeners. And thanks for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Hopefully without barfing. Hopefully. (laughs) 